Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. The first time I remember being afraid of the unknown was when I was 12 years old. It was December 1999, and we were quickly approaching the event that the entire world had been thinking about, uh, talking about, anxiously preparing for, for months now. Talking about Y2K. Who here, show of hands on all of our campuses, who remembers Y2K, right? How could you not? Some of you guys are like a little bit mad at me now because I said I was only 12 then, but look around, there were some people who weren't even alive yet, so okay, I'm off the hook. Uh, Y2K, for those of you who don't remember, was a computer bug, a flaw, that could possibly cause issues with computer systems for dates beyond December 31st, 1999. And so as the calendar approached the year 2000, anxiety spread because people feared that the computer systems would shut down. And the result would be worldwide chaos, right? Including a disruption in electricity, in water systems, in in banking systems, in food delivery, in transportation. Like the result would just be a complete breakdown of society. And I even remember a guy at my church growing up who would pass out pamphlets on how this was the end times and what steps to take in order to prepare for all of the rioting and anarchy that was sure to ensue. He actually lived down the street from us and his house was a doomsday prepper's paradise. I mean, he had an unbelievable amount, a stockpile of guns and ammunition, barrels and barrels of water and gasoline, which I don't even think is safe. Like, he had um, just a whole room in his house of non-perishable food items, and that was just the start of his preparations. And I remember on New Year's Eve, right, a day where we're celebrating the year that's about to close and the new year we're about to usher in, I as a 12-year-old felt a lot of fear, unsure of exactly what the next day would hold. And so what happened when uh, the clock struck midnight and it turned to January 1st, 2000? Well, not very much at all. People woke up the next morning and the world did not end. The electricity still turned on, no computers exploded, and life just went on, business as usual. And although Y2K didn't end up affecting any of my day-to-day living, it did actually affect my thinking. See, I didn't realize this then, 
But what I've come to know now is that in that moment, I realized the future is unknown and the unknown is scary. Therefore, we have to do all we can in order to prepare for and even control the unknown. Let me ask you a question. Whether you're watching online or you're joining us live from one of our campuses, Brentwood, Danville, Walnut Creek, Hayward, and Livermore, here's what I want you to think about right now. What fears do you have as you think about the future? When you think about the unknowns in your life, what stirs up anxiety? What uh, dominates your thinking? What keeps you up at night? Here are uh, some of mine. One would be the housing market. We bought a house in Livermore two years ago and we spent an exorbitant amount of money on a little over 1,200 square feet. And I worry about that being a bad investment. I worry about the market crashing again. I, I worry about losing our home. I also worry about raising two boys. Uh, the world is changing rapidly, and there is so much that I cannot protect them from or shield them from, especially as they get closer and closer to, school, to the school years. I mean, there are so many things that I don't have answers for, and to be honest, I feel very ill-equipped to parent them through all of that. I have a uh, genetic blood disorder that puts me at risk for increased blood clots. And there are some preemptive steps that I take, but uh, I've never had a blood clot before. So for the most part, it's not anything I really have to worry about. Except I do worry about it all the time. Especially after my brother died last year from a clot in his Widowmaker artery. And oftentimes it is very hard for me to not become consumed with thoughts surrounding what if that happens to me. Now I know I'm not the only one who wrestles with these types of things. The reality is fear of the unknown is one of the greatest enemies we face as 21st century Americans. Right? Maybe it's uh, more outward unknowns like economic uncertainties or government tensions or violence that hits too close to home. Or maybe for you, it's more personal unknowns, job transition, family challenges, retirement planning, student loans, uh, broken relationships, health issues, entering a new season of life, like the list could go on and on and on. And these unknowns, they produce anxieties in us that begin to affect every area of our lives, from our relationships to our decision-making, even our faith. And I believe the reason that the unknown can be so uncomfortable, so scary, so anxiety-ridden for us, it really boils down to one, one word. And that word is control. Fear of the unknown is ultimately fear of not being in control. Today, we're gonna take a look at the life of Abraham. He is someone who wrestled a lot with fear of the unknown. And so he's got a lot that he can teach us from his story when it comes to this topic. Go ahead and grab a Bible or open your Bible app and find Genesis chapter 12. Genesis is the very first book in the Bible, so you don't have to go very far before you're at chapter 12. 
And while you do that, let me tell you a little bit about who Abraham was. He's known as the father or the patriarch of our Christian faith. Uh, And that's because Abraham's faith serves as an important backdrop for the redemption of God's people throughout all of scripture. His name was actually Abram, uh, but God later changed his name to Abraham. And the same goes for his wife, Sarai. God changed her name to Sarah. And so keep that in mind as we read, regardless what name you see, they're they're talking about the same people. Abraham and Sarah, they uh, lived, they were originally from the Babylonian city of Ur, which would be in modern day Iraq. And the people of Ur, including Abraham and his family, they uh, were polytheists. They worshiped many gods, mainly Nana, god of the moon. And Ur was a highly civilized city, uh, extremely advanced for that time. Uh, it, it had advanced technology and science. Uh, it w- had elaborate wealth and skilled craftsmanship. And from all we know, Abraham and his family most likely lived a very comfortable, wealthy, secure life there. And in the text we're about to read, Abraham would have been in his 70s, early 70s, which was considered middle age back then. And although he and Sarah didn't have any children, things were going pretty well. So look at chapter 12. We'll start in verse one. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Okay, so God reveals himself to Abraham. He says, hey, leave everything you know because I'm gonna lead you somewhere new. And the plan was extremely vague. But Abraham followed. He listened. And man, I read that and right away I'm like, I'm super impressed with Abraham because I don't think I would do that. Like when I'm facing the unknown, when there are situations where I'm not, God's maybe calling me into something and I don't really know what the plan is, right? I wanna figure out the step-by-step directions. I'll be like, okay, God, I'll listen, but like show show me the roadmap first. But what I've come to realize, learning from my own mistakes, is that, Oftentimes, God keeps the plan vague because if he gives us the whole plan, what do we do? We start to follow the plan instead of following him. And so it takes a lot of faith for Abraham to step out in the midst of the unknown with no plan at all. Beyond that, uh, this was a big deal because, like I mentioned earlier, he grew up in a polytheistic civilization. I mean, he may not have even fully realized that the God who was talking to him was Yahweh, the one true God. He, he didn't have the Bible to refer to, right? He, and, and as far as we know, he had no history of experiencing Yahweh's faithfulness in his life up to this point. And so in a sense, Abraham is being asked to step into the most unknown calling like ever in the history of the world. And in this moment, he has two choices as he faces the unknown. He can remain in control or he can surrender and trust God. And we already know he chooses option two, that uh, he begins this unknown journey with God without having any clarity in regards to where he's going or when he will get there. Think about how daunting that would be, right? Like, I imagine packing up everything you own and loading that 
and your entire family into a car, and then you just start driving, right? And your kids are like, hey, dad, where are we going? And you're like, you know, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Like, is this a surprise? You're taking us to Disneyland, aren't you? No, we're just gonna drive. Okay, that's weird. Like, how long is it gonna take? Yeah, I don't know that either. It could be hours or days. It could be months or years, you know what? I don't really know. Make sure you go to the bathroom now. <laughs> like, sounds like my worst nightmare. And we don't know exactly how long this journey took, but eventually Abraham reached a land called Canaan and God says, stop. Abraham, this is the land that I have promised to you. And so Abraham, he stops and he builds an altar to commemorate this moment and to worship God for his faithfulness. Like, yes, when you think about it, there was still a lot of unknowns that Abraham faced, right? All that he had found was the land that God had promised him. He didn't yet have possession of the land. He didn't yet have the promised heir that God had given him. There was still so much that was unknown, but Abraham wanted to remember what God had done. And I think this is a great first takeaway for us today. One of the best things we can do when we're facing the unknown is to remind ourselves of what God has already done. You see, it's hard to be fearful of our future when we remember God's faithfulness from our past. Now, I'm not saying you have to like go into your backyard and build an, a monument to God. Uh, it could be as simple as creating a gratitude list. When I am feeling anxious about future things, I will actually make two lists, two columns on a piece of paper. And in one, I'll write down all of the unknowns, all of the future things that I am feeling anxious about. And then next to it in the other column, I will write out things that I am grateful for. Ways that God has uh, proven himself to me. Ways that he's come through for me, that he's been faithful to me. And there's something about seeing those things listed side by side that it actually, uh, it, it, it diminishes the power that the anxiety side has over me. And that's a simple practice that allows my past to inform my present and how I'm currently feeling as opposed to allowing the future unknowns, right? The fears and anxieties that I have about that as opposed to allowing that to inform my present and how I'm feeling. And Abraham, this is exactly what he's doing here. So he trusts God in the midst of the unknown. God comes through. Everything works out perfectly until, right? There's always an until, a famine hits. And Abraham chooses to leave the promised land and flee to Egypt. And it's here where the unknowns really begin to overwhelm him. Look at chapter 12, verse 11. As he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife Sarai, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife. Then they will kill me, but will let you live. So say you are my sister, so that I will be treated well for your sake and my life will be spared because of you. So Abraham, he just had this incredible experience where God called him into the unknown. He decided to step out in faith, to trust God. God leads him, but now at the first sign of trouble, all of that goes out the window and Abraham starts grasping for control. And if you keep reading, you'll see they arrived to Egypt and the locals did notice Sarah. And because they think she's single, they take her into Pharaoh's palace to become one of his concubines. I think it's safe to say, right, things are not going very good in Egypt so far. 
See, Abraham's attempt to control the unknown, it led to things getting completely out of control. Have you ever done that in your own life? Where you like take control, right? I can do this, I know the way forward. And then things just get completely out of control. Maybe we experience this when we jump into a relationship that you know really isn't the best choice, but we're tired of being single and God's not making much progress on that front. Or we need to be patient when it comes to the hiring process. But you know what? We, we rush to fill that role and now things aren't working out. Maybe one of our kids is in rebellion and instead of loosening our grip, what do we do? We tighten it. Yeah. But the more we try to control things, the harder they pull away. We fear losing what is important to us and so we try to control every single area of our lives, clinging tightly to what matters most to us. The problem though is that this kind of fear pulls us away from God. Pastor John Ortberg says this about the fear of the unknown. Fear whispers to us that God is not really big enough to take care of us. It tells us we are not really safe in his hands. It causes us to distort the way we think about him. And this is what happened with Abraham. He allowed his fear to distort his belief about God. Hey, my life is at risk here in Egypt. God is not big enough to save me. I have to take control of the situation. I need to take this into my own hands. And the result of Abraham's need for control is that his wife is taken from him. Church, we have to realize what Abraham failed to see. When we control things within our own power, what we're ultimately doing is doubting God's power. Abraham doubted his power by trying to take control of the situation. Psalms 37, seven says this, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Man, I love this verse because it reminds me to wait on God in moments of uncertainty, to relinquish control, to give him the opportunity to come through for me instead of always like rushing ahead and taking things into my own hands and trying to fix everything from within my own strength. And if we continue reading the story, we'll see Abraham, he did eventually get Sarah back, uh, and, but the only reason was because God intervened. God sent plagues to Pharaoh's household, and so Pharaoh realized that Sarah was actually Abraham's wife, and he sends them on their way, along with everything that they had acquired during their time in Egypt. And I imagine this experience was a huge learning curve for Abraham, because really, up to this point in his life, this was the very first time he realized God was truly in control. But then just a few chapters later, we get to Genesis 15, and Abraham begins to doubt whether what God promised him will actually come true, right? He begins to forget God's previous faithfulness, and he's focusing on the unknown future, and he asks God for clarity. God, how will I know that what you say is true? I mean, I can totally relate to Abraham here. I mean, I face the unknown, and that's my first prayer. Prayer is for clarity, God, just show me, give me clarity, tell me what to do. And God's response to Abraham in this moment is one of my favorite parts of all of scripture. See, Abraham, he's riddled with doubt and worry. He's grasping for control. And here's how God responds to him. Look at chapter 15, verse nine. 
So the Lord said to him, bring me a heifer, a goat and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And Abraham brought all these to him, cut them in two and arranged the halves opposite each other. The birds, however, he did not cut in half. I know you're thinking like, wait, why is that her favorite part in all of scripture? (laughs) Becky's really weird. I know, it's weird, right? It's a weird response. It's okay to read the Bible sometimes and be like, God, that was weird. Why did you say that? But you see, for us, it's weird. For Abraham, this would not have been weird. And that's because in those days when a Lord or a superior wanted to make a covenant or an oath with a lesser person, let's say with a servant or a peasant, this is how it was done, right? There were no written contracts. There were no notaries. There was no docu-sign. No, this is how it was done. Animals were cut and arranged. And then by walking between the rows of animals, the servant was essentially saying to the Lord, hey, I swear loyalty to you. And if I don't keep my promise, may I be cut into pieces like these animals, right? They were actually acting out the curse that they spoke upon themselves if they did not remain faithful to the covenant. And so I'm sure in this moment, Abraham's thinking, okay, I've got all these doubts. I've got all these anxieties about my future. And so God wants me to make this covenant to him to prove that I will be faithful. Abraham would have figured he would be called to walk through the pieces because that's what the servant did. The Lord never walked through the pieces. It was always the servant's responsibility. And so he gets everything prepped. He gets everything ready to go. He sets it up and then it says he falls asleep. And here's why this is one of my favorite parts in all of scripture. While Abraham is asleep, God comes down in the form of a smoking fire pot with a blazing torch and God himself walks between the pieces of the animals and then the ceremony ends. Now this would have been utterly shocking to Abraham for two reasons. One is because God went through the pieces. That was unheard of. That never happened. The Lord's never made this type of covenant. It was always the responsibility of the servant. But the second reason this would have been utterly shocking to Abraham is because Abraham himself was never asked to walk through the pieces as well. What this meant is that God was making the promise for both of them. Not only is God saying, I will be torn to pieces if I don't fulfill my covenant, but also Abraham, I will be torn to pieces if you don't fulfill yours. See, in that moment, God is saying, Abraham, let me tell you who I am. Because you know who other gods are, you have worshiped other gods, let me tell you who Yahweh is. I am a good God. I am a faithful God. I'm a God who loves you, who is for you, and who will bring about these good things in your life, regardless of whether or not you remain faithful in return. Abraham, I make an oath to you today that I will pay the price if I don't fulfill my end of the bargain, but I will also pay the price if you don't fulfill yours. My faithfulness will not change in the midst of your doubts or your worries or the times when you're grasping for control. This is who God was for Abraham. But the truth is, this is who God is for us too. He is a faithful God. And his faithfulness is not dependent on anything that we do or do not do. 
And this is why we can trust in the promises of God. And this is why Abraham could trust in the promises of God, even though he didn't get any clarity, right? He asked for clarity and God did not give him any clarity. Nothing about the situation changed. The unknown was still, the future was still as unknown as it could be to Abraham. Yet he could trust because of who God is. Romans 8, 28 is one of the many promises in scripture that God gives us. Here's what it says. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Do you notice those three words? In all things. In all things. It means in the known things and in the unknown things in the good things and in the bad things, in the seasons of our life where we're grasping for control and in the seasons where we are more open-handed. In all things, God is working for you. He is active. He is moving. He is at work for your good. Not because you're perfect, not because you don't worry or you don't have any doubts or fears, but because he is a faithful God. It's who he is. It's what he does and he does not change. And this is just one of the hundreds of promises that God gives to us in his word. Have you ever spent some time studying the promises of God in scripture? If you've never done that before, I wanna challenge you this week, in the next seven days, spend 10 minutes, a half an hour, an hour, however much time you have, looking up the promises of God in scripture. I'll make it really easy for you. All you have to do is Google promises of God in scripture and like 9 million lists will come up for you, right? It's incredible. Read through those. Pick a handful of promises that stand out to you. Write them down. Put them somewhere you'll see them every day. Read them when you're feeling anxious about your future unknowns or better yet, memorize them. And you will be surprised how those reminders of who God is and and his promises for us, it can pierce the midst of our fear and it can bring us peace and comfort and even hope. Regardless of whether we get further clarity or not, regardless of whether the unknowns change. Let's look at one more piece of Abraham's story. So nearly 30 years after God gave him that original promise, Abraham's 100 years old and God gives him and Sarah their son, Isaac. But then in Genesis 22, God asked Abraham to give him back by sacrificing Isaac. And without hesitation, Abraham sets out to do what God had asked of him. The story continues where uh, Abraham journeys with Isaac to Mount Moriah. And along the way, Isaac notices, hey, there's no sacrificial lamb. Dad said we're going to sacrifice, but we didn't bring a lamb with us. And so he asked his father about it. And Abraham just responds to him by saying, God will provide the lamb for the sacrifice. God will provide. Isaac, don't worry about it. God will provide. And they ascend the mountain. They build an altar. Abraham binds his son and he lays him on the wood. And moments before he's about to sacrifice him, an angel of the Lord appears and tells Abraham to stop. And God does in fact provide another lamb for the sacrifice. And what's incredible about this story is that despite how absurd this request from God seemed, Abraham had come to a place in his life where he fully trusted God, even though he did not fully understand God's plan. 
His trust in God was not dependent on his ability to understand the circumstances. And this is what each and every single one of us is tasked with as well. Relinquishing control, trusting God, even in the times when we don't understand the plan. You see, trusting God with the unknown, it doesn't mean that we believe nothing bad will happen. Right? It, it doesn't man, trusting God doesn't mean that we naively think nothing will ever go wrong. No, trusting God in the unknown, it means that we know and we believe that God is for us. So that even though things go wrong, even when they go wrong, because they will go wrong, even when we're surrounded by the unknowns, we can have peace and confidence in knowing that God is a good God who is working these things out for our good. And here's the reason we can have that confidence. Regardless of the unknown that we're facing. On that, that day on Mount Moriah, what God had Abraham not do, sacrificing his one and only son, it was actually a foreshadowing of what God would eventually do himself in sacrificing Jesus, his one and only son. You see, Jesus, he would have walked a similar route on his way to the cross. He would have walked right past the spot where the knife was raised above Isaac's head. But this time, Jesus was the lamb that God would provide for the sacrifice. And that sacrifice was provided for our behalf. So that through Jesus, the world could be restored along with all the agony and the pain and the hurt that we experience because of the brokenness that exists beyond our control. And there is no greater example of God's faithfulness to us than the cross. Because it is there where God proved that he will always provide for us even in the midst of the most unthinkable of situations. And at the same time, there is no greater example of God working even in the worst of circumstances to bring about good than the empty grave. Right, because it is there that Jesus claimed resurrection and victory and life, not just for himself, but for each and every single person who would choose to put their faith and trust in him. If I can be honest, though, this is still really hard for me. Like, I actually experienced a lot of anxiety over the past few weeks as I've been preparing for this message. And I believe the reason for that is because this topic, fear of the unknown, it is something that I have been wrestling immensely with over the last 13 months. I mean, more so than any other time in my life. April of last year, when I received the phone call from my mom that my brother had unexpectedly died, like it sent me into a tailspin. And even though the days have been dark and the grief has been heavy, like yes, there has, there has been hope. There has been healing I've experienced over the past year. But there's still this tension I hold. Because on one hand, I absolutely trust that God is good, that he is faithful, that he is in control, and that he is working all things, even my brother's death, out for good. But on the other hand, like, I still have a lot of doubts. I have a lot of questions. I have like a hundred plans that I think would be, have been a way better plan 
than the reality of what my family is having to live out now. I still have fear. I still all too often like grasp for control in so many ways and try to hold on with all my might. And I think I felt so anxious about preaching this message because it hasn't been fully resolved for me yet. Like maybe it never will be fully resolved on this side of eternity. And I know that there are many of you here today and you are currently walking through an extremely painful unknown. There are people here today who you have walked through extremely agonizing unknowns in your past and you're living in this tension too. And it may not be fully resolved for you either on this side of eternity. And although I still wrestle with this tension, the one thing I know for sure is that my anchor is in Christ. Like what Christ has accomplished on my behalf through the cross and through the empty grave is the central point of what I can put my faith in. Even in the midst of my fears, fear of any kind, like that's the hope that we can hold on to. Each week of this series, we have been reminding ourselves of different truths about who God is. That God is with you. God sees you, God loves you, God is in, he has the last word and this weekend we'll add that God is in control. And the reason we created this list was not to just give you some phrases that sounded really nice. No, we created this list because these are truths that will help us pull our focus off of our fears and place our focus on God. The reality is these fears that we've been studying over the last five weekends, fear of failure, fear of not being enough, of intimacy, of rejection, fear of the unknown, like these are really big fears. These are real fears. We don't just overcome them simply by trying harder at not being afraid, right? We don't overcome them by avoiding those situations and never having to actually deal with any of those things. No, the only way that we overcome them is by placing our trust in the one who is greater than any fear that we face. And that's Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, you are such a good and faithful God. You're a God who's in control. God, I pray that you would help us trust you more in that. God, I pray that you would help us relinquish the control that we like to try and convince ourselves we have. I mean, control's an illusion. We don't really have any control. But God, instead of being overwhelmed by that thought and overcome by our fears, I pray that you would teach us how to trust in you more. Because you're the only thing greater than the fears we face. Teach us how to trust that in all things, whatever that might be, 
that you are for us and you are working those things out for our good. We thank you for that truth. It's in the name of Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.